What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguero. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which is the guy who walked the walkways of San Quentin's death row and without a gang, without a, a group of people around me. It was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then he said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's, and it's funny. I'll tell you why. I'm gonna... That's a good one, Matt. No, I'll tell you why. Welcome to the Death Row Diaries Patreon feed. I am Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nogueira. Now, listeners, you might hear a slight difference in the audio quality of our broadcast here. See, what I did was I moved to the beach. And when you move to the beach, you're going to sacrifice square footage for you know, having this majestic view of the amazing Pacific Ocean. Long story short, I had these beach windows in my in my house when I bought it. And now I have installed soundproof glass. And man, I never appreciated windows so much. Bill, can you hear the difference? I totally can, but my mind is reeling right now because I'm thinking, okay, there's something completely wrong. I know right now our listeners are, are smiling because you know where I'm going with this, man. I mean, your, your fantasy car is a 1970s Scooby-Doo van that serial killers use. You kind of, you know, found me in this situation, and we do a podcast basically on serial killers. And now you've moved to the beach, and you have soundproof glass in your home. My next question is, do you have a basement, and are there chains and apparatuses to hold people down there while you torture them. Now, Bill, this really isn't fair because just because uh, I have been called a serial killer since I was a young child, I don't know if it's somewhat appearance-based or uh, some kind of uh, disaffection, but I might make this a racial thing. I, I might play the race card. You know, I'm just a guy that donates to charity occasionally as a tax write-off. You know, I try and live a good life, and I can't escape being called a serial killer no matter how hard I try. And, and I wouldn't say it hurts my feelings. It, it doesn't. But, you know, like Christopher Walken or, or someone like that, they might have the same, the same plight. What can you do to distance yourself from being a, a, a guy that reminds people of serial killers? I don't know. that you look like a serial killer. <laughs> I mean, you the poster. It's funny you bring up, you know, funny enough that you bring up Christopher Walken. Ladies and gentlemen, Matt Ralston has a poster of Christopher Walken behind his door that his girlfriend thinks is really creepy. I don't know. This is just me here. You know, Matt, you gotta stop doing things that remind people you might be a serial killer. But what is the appeal? I'm not really comparing myself to Christopher Walken, but what is the appeal? Clearly people think he's a, 
an entertaining guy. And and if they really thought he was a serial killer, I feel like it, there would be no appeal. So so what is that? It's weird. Well, he's a character that plays different characters on TV, so of course he's an actor. But if he wasn't an actor and didn't have those credentials, and he walks into a restaurant where I'm having dinner, I'm focusing on him. I mean, Christopher Walken is... I mean, take a look at the guy. I mean, there's no other creepier guy that I know. And, and look at the roles he plays in the King of New York. And then the creepiest one was in Prophecy, where he plays the Archangel Gabriel. Oh, man, talk about a creepy cat. He seems more... Down, isn't, isn't it a little bit more child molester than than a serial killer? It's hard to, <laughs> it's hard to separate the two because they often go hand in hand, but... I, I this is I guess a humble brag, but no one's ever accused me of being a child molester type guy. It's it's just the serial killer part. Yeah, well, I'm not sure if that comparison is any better. <laughs> Christopher Walken looks like a child molester, but <laughs> as a disclaimer for Death Row Diaries, we're doing this in good fun, and Christopher Walken should not be insulted by this, or because you know he is kind of a character. So that's the disclaimer today on the show. <laughs> yeah. So. But man, these windows, I'm telling you, you could scream as loud as you could and no one would hear anything. So, Bill, I wanted to talk to you about... There you go again, doing it. You're doing it again. <laughs> <laughs> you you have a bit of a tough exterior, as I do, I, not in the same, to the same degree, but I was informed recently that the two old ladies that live next door are afraid of me. I, just because... I think growing up in a place where there's some threat of physical violence, you know, you, you just develop something that maybe you can't shake a little bit. And I wanted to dig a little bit into that because you shouldn't be in prison. Anyone that, you know, has listened to our show understands that. And, and I think you have a stigma against a lot of the people that you're doing time with as you should, because almost all of them are, sick people and they don't deserve your affection but i wanted to know there's got to be during this time someone that you met that you actually kind of became friends with that you liked as an individual and i was curious about that and how you might separate that from maybe knowing what they were in for and all this so without naming names can you tell a story of of meeting someone that you actually respected and and liked as a friend that you would have been friends with on the outside yeah that's kind of a interesting question because no one's ever asked that before in those terms so I, it's, it's a dual-sided question because in prison you you tend to be close to someone if you are close to someone that has a similar personality similar um, biases similar outlook on life and I normally don't find people that look at life like I do because I look at things kind of in a conservative viewpoint you know and you say affection immediately my first thought was hey man look I'm straight there's no nothing weird going on here and of course you cleared that up by saying I meant an affection for a human being as a person so the answer is yes um, and there's been different situations and what I mean by that is you know before I became before I came to death row, and I've always talked about that, I, and if you read my book, Escape Bars, you know this is true, that you know, I was a criminal. And I was, I was, at one point, one of the most sought-after high-end car thieves in Southern California. 
And in that world, you associate with people and like people that are like-minded. Meaning that people are not gonna tell on you, people are not gonna open their mouth. So in prison, when I kind of found someone that I thought I could get along with, it had to be a person that had some of the interests that I had. And at the same token, I had to know that if a situation arose where I'm by myself and there's 30 guys coming at me, I want to know that this guy is not going to turn tail and run. But that's, and that's the hard part because it's very difficult to find a person who has good morals, good ethics, at the same time as a tough guy is not going to let you leave you hanging. So my, that question is very difficult to answer because, um, because you can't find that person that's like-minded with my outlook in life. But there has been one, and I'll name him, because, I mean, if you heard this, you'd probably appreciate it as well. There's a guy I met, and I met him 36 years ago when I first arrived on death row. He's a little bit older than I am, but he's not a weird guy. He's not out there raping, pillaging, killing children. And I met him on the yard, and very straight in meeting. He had conservative viewpoints, athletes, you know, drove a Corvette, so we, we had the, the interesting cars. But I knew that this guy, and I worked out with him for a number of years until he left. He got a, a lesser sentence and went to a, a lower level prison. But this guy, being as conservative and really never done prison time, he was a college graduate, and he got a, in a situation with, a, with his spouse, and he ended up, you know, killing his spouse and ended up in prison. But you could see the qualities of this guy. He loved his child, he was a good father, um, but at the same token, he was that guy that I could really rely on. And his name was Peter, Peter Edelbacher. And, um, and Pete and I really got along. And if I were out, this is the kind of guy that I probably would hang around with. He's a lot like you, man. He's a you know, he jokes around, good guy, straight way of thinking, and he has good common sense. So to answer your question, it would have to be Peter Edelbacher because I know that if, if there's 30 killers coming after me, and look, as, as well-trained as I am, 30 guys, there's no way I can handle that. I know that even in a situation where he knew that he very good possibility he'd be severely hurt or killed, that he wouldn't leave me hanging. And that's rare to find in prison. So that's the guy I think that hit all the, all the, um, those factors of friend, comrade. So yeah, that would probably be the answer. Now, he is not a criminal either. You know what I mean, Matt? He, he is, he's not that other spectrum. I mean, he's the kind of guy you, you'd invite to your house and you would be comfortable with him being around your, your, your girlfriend, your, your children, your dog, everything. That's interesting because when I look at cancel culture, you know that term, and sure. oftentimes it it's tricky. It's a double-edged sword because oftentimes it applies to guys that have been creeps their whole lives, and eventually enough stories built up that that there was a reason to say, you know, this guy shouldn't be working around women anymore, usually is the case. But 
if you look into anyone's life, like if you plastered a headline of anyone's life, your life, my life, there's something that every single person has done or said that would that would implicate them as being a racist or a misogynist, take the term, whatever term you want to use. Like we've all said something or done something like that. Otherwise you wouldn't be a human being. You take that to a pretty far extent when you're in prison for murdering your wife. So yeah, I'm kind of grappling with that. Sure. But, but again, everybody here on death row is here for extreme crime. And whether they're young or not, whether it was planned or not, it happened. So you're, you kind of take the person away from that. I mean, he, you know, he did what he did, but there's also redeeming qualities to this guy. I mean, uh, I, I didn't ever judge him on what, if he was a rapist or something, I couldn't be around this guy, but yeah, and I understand the whole domestic violence deal. Totally do not respect it, and that movement is very much always in my mind. But I really saw a different side to him, and I, I do believe in second chances. If you're remorseful and you think you've changed your outlook on life, everybody makes mistakes. Sure, not everybody makes mistakes when it takes someone's life. But of course, I, if, I, if I judged him, I'd be judging myself every single time, and I do. But I believe there are, there are redeeming qualities in my life, and I thought there were on him, on him as well. Um, but then there's also the other spectrum, which I'll mention, which another guy that I, I get along with really well, and he too has left recently. But I think we should definitely talk about him because he, he's a different spectrum. So can we backtrack real quick? Because I'm, I'm just curious how you how you're separating the crime. Like, did you ever hear that Chris Rock bit about OJ Simpson where uh, he's, he's giving his wife a car, a Lamborghini or something like that to drive around. And she's fucking a guy right in front of his face and kind of rubbing it in his face. Now he was a serial domestic abuser, an awful person, but Chris Rock's thing was, I'm not, saying he should have killed her but i understand and you know that's kind of politically incorrect and it's a joke obviously but did did you get into the circumstances i i know that you just named the guy so you don't have to get into anything specific but did you consider the circumstances of of anything beyond okay he killed his wife and that's that well sure i always pretty much judge you. I'm a pretty good judge of character when it comes to other men and their intentions, what they think. I just watched them over a long time and the more that I got to know him, I jumped in to repeat, hey, what's up, buddy? No, it took years for me to really get to know the guy and watch him and how he performed under pressure and what he did and how he talked about, you know, how much he loved his son and how much he, uh, he, was, he was remorseful for what happened and I kind of made the judgment call that, look, if the guy today under the same circumstances, what would he have done? And I know that he probably would have still been very upset for whatever happened to him and how he he, he, uh, he dealt with that situation. But I know that he would not do that, commit that crime. So that's how I got past it. I just figured, what would he do today? And it wasn't a mistake. Does he believe it was a mistake? And the answer is absolutely. And was he remorseful? Maybe I've, I've talked to him about that. He, he said, if had I known had I understood it, at that moment I wasn't emotionally distraught, I never would have done this because of the damage it done to my child, my family, 
and to the victim herself. So there was, you know, when you we talk about domestic violence and spousal stuff, that's a really hard uh, to crack because you don't know what both of them were doing to each other to get to a person to the next level, if, if anything at all. You never know. So you said you kind of befriended, would you call it a friend? like how I have a few different types of friends. I could probably count five or six people that if I really needed something, you know, if my car was broken down or, or just I needed to talk to someone that I could call and 100% they would be there right away. And then I have some other friends that I know don't really give a fuck about me, but they're just fun to talk to and joke around with. Um, like... You know, yeah, exactly. You know I mean? and, and that's, yeah, and that's exactly right. There's this guy that I say hello to every day, but I don't want to hang around with them. And they're, 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 they're quite, I call them acquaintances. I can probably call, call people my friends, and I can count them on one hand. You know, that I, like you said, you can rely on these guys. Like you say, when you call it at 2 in the morning, hey, I need a ride, and it's pouring rain, they're coming no matter what. Well, in prison, it's a little bit different because pouring rain is 50 guys coming at you and I can depend on them being there for me. So it's a little bit different, but it's the same type of thing. And then, of course, in the free world, there are, there are a few people that, I can, people that I consider friends. And it's very limited. I mean, look, when you and I first started this podcast, I mean, we basically talked one time and we quit. And you said, yeah, let me get this done. Let me, let me check out the website. Let me look at this thing. And within two weeks, we're up and running. That's a reliable person to me. I mean, I consider you a very reliable person. You know, we haven't had the opportunity to spend a lot of time together, and we still have to look in to see if that clock, that basement in your house is for torturing people. But if it wasn't, then we probably would be probably become very good friends. Yeah, it just must be so amplified in prison because I, I walk around 
talking to people and and I do have a kind of a close knit group of people and everyone's a little bit weary of letting outsiders in because it's like guys are so weird and eight times out of 10, they're trying to use someone for something to get a job or, or whatever their, their agenda is. And guys are just creepy, but in prison, my God, I know you think it's, and, and, and you're right in that it's a micro society, but Jesus, man, I mean, in prison, almost everyone is a fucking weirdo. So how do you negotiate that? How do you vet these guys just to talk to them, just to be like, you're worth even talking to yeah, well, you separate the weirdos from the strict. I mean, some guys act solid on the yard, and again, they're suddenly become creepy motherfuckers, okay? But you can tell which ones are and which are not. Like, Peter was always straight, always the same guy, no matter what. After 20-plus years of me being around, he's always the same guy. And the other guy I mentioned, which I'll mention his name, his name is Malo, and, and that translates to bad in English. This was a solid guy, and I considered him my friend. And although, um, you know, I don't live with the guy every single day, but I lived in the same tier with him, got to look at him, got to talk to him, spent hours walking back and forth, talking about his perspectives. Yeah, he's the kind of guy that's not going to turn into somebody different later. He's always the same guy. And I appreciate that. Yeah. So what's an example of... And, and we kind of define it as someone that's there for you. Another way of saying that is someone that has your back. And I know that, again, just people that I care about, they're going to have my back to a degree. You know, they're going to side with me. And luckily, I don't I don't go around doing anything weird. So, like, if a, there's a level to that, right? Like, when fans of Michael Jackson continue to defend the guy, even though it's it's just documented beyond like the legal precedent of believing anything unless you're a conspiracy theorist that he was a child molester. So if I had, if I had a friend that I then found out through a lot of well-documented evidence was a child molester, I wouldn't be friends with that guy anymore. But when there's a question, I know that my friends will have my back. Sure. Actually, I know what you're getting to, and in prison, it's very similar. Like with these two guys I mentioned, the biggest thing that's in prison is always grabs for power and political power. So if, let's say, for example, Mickey Mouse over here comes up to Peter and says, look, man, um, we're going to hit Bill today. And when you say hit, they mean they're going to try and kill me, stop me. They're going to get Bill today. And we want you to lead him into that corner and walk away because we're going to take care of it right there. I know that Peter would look at the guy and say, yeah, okay, I got you. And then walk over to me and say, hey, man, they're coming. I know that. And I know the same thing about mom because they don't have any kind of political agenda and they're not trying to please anybody else. They're lone gladiators. And I, call, I, I use that extreme sense because that's exactly, they're lone guys. They're, they're a masterless samurai, okay? They have no loyalty to anybody but their friends. And if someone tries to do something to them, they'll immediately say, hey, they're not going to allow someone. So that's what I'm talking about. So similar to what you said about Michael Jackson, then if there were questions, your good friends would stick to you, but if there's undisputed evidence that you are who they say they are, uh, they usually walk away. So that's the extreme. But in prison, everything is amplified. So, so the audience understands what we're talking about. It's usually behind 
like violence and who you associate with, you have to understand what they bring to the table. Politically, are they into that political game? Are they into the gang game where they are puppets for a bigger gang that puts you, makes you very vulnerable? All those things are considered when you say, I'm that guy's acquaintance or I consider him a friend. It's very extreme and not the nicest thing in the world. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I mean, I've defended people that were unpopular in certain situations. But then there's that line of of just worshiping someone. And I don't like to bring politics into a situation or a discussion when it's irrelevant, although I actually really do. So what would Donald Trump have to do for his sycophants to, uh, to admit he did something wrong? Uh, what would he have to do? Would he would he have to be on camera shooting someone in the head? I feel like they would think that was cool. Is there a... This is a broad question, but don't we get into a, a line here where there's like hero worship and something just very psychologically weird going on? Yeah, well, Donald Trump, it's the extreme. You know, we had Barack Obama in in office and then Donald Trump comes aboard and he brings a different kind of fanaticalism. One was totally liberal, one is a liberal who pretends to be a conservative. I don't know what Donald Trump's agenda really is. I think it's really based on himself. I mean, it's, there are people that believe in what he says and they believe that no matter what they say about him, it's a conspiracy theorist. Those people are a little bit delusional, I believe. And you know, there's probably people listening that probably like Donald Trump. I'm not saying don't like the guy, but I'm also, I always question everything. I, did the blind loyalty, the worship thing, not a good thing. But are there some Democrats out to get him? Yeah. Are, are there some Republicans out there to get him? Yeah, probably. But with him, you, like I say, one aspirin's good for you, a thousand's bad. Donald Trump is a thousand aspirins, okay? And you really have to take him in doses. There's good things about him and there's bad things about him. Just like everybody with uh, Biden, same thing. There's good things about him and bad things. So that's why I don't I don't really go with any party. It's more about common sense with me. If Biden says something that makes sense, okay, that's right with that. If Donald Trump says something that makes sense, okay, well, that makes sense. But that whole blind following, that's, that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just meant to relate it to, I feel like you see that in prison sometimes with guys like uh, Ramirez and, and you know all too well. Like there seems to be, if you do something bad, there seems to be people that gravitate to that. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. And there are people that gravitate towards bad, evil people, and Richard Ramirez is a pretty good example. But yeah, that's the best way to look at that from afar. All right, we'll pick that back up. Yeah, so I'm, I'm casting a really wide net here, and I'm, I'm hoping you can wrangle it a little bit. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of Ramirez getting letters in prison. Like, I was watching Goodfellas. You've seen Goodfellas. I love that movie. And I'm, I'm watching it like, I want to hang out with these guys. They seem like a lot of fun. And then probably like, Five years later, I'm like, wait a minute. I absolutely do not want to hang out with these guys. These guys are murderers and weirdos, and they're probably dumb as fuck. You know, you, you can fall wait, into that. Those guys? Oh, the the characters in Goodfellas, you know, uh, Ray Liotta, Joe Pesci. Oh, yeah. Well, see, there's a, that's a pretty good example right there, okay? 
Look, you have Henry Hill, you have all these guys that are, that are in the same band. They hang out together, they eat together. It's because they have a, a, a similar mindset, which is being criminals, and they want guys around. They're not going to tell on them. Well, of course, Henry Hill changed everything by telling on everybody. But that's a good example right there. Yeah, look, everybody loves a mobster. They love Al Capone. They like all these things. But truthfully, when you come down to it, that's kind of a you like the character that plays in the movie but you really want to get close to Al Capone or Frank Nitti or any of the big mobsters the answer usually is no because you're always if you're not them you're always expendable always right so I guess kind of in closing because everyone has this hypothetical conversation let's say you got to have dinner with three people, three dinner guests. I would go with Jennifer Doudna. She discovered CRISPR, which is a gene editing technology that uh, that has been developed at Berkeley. I would go with, I, I don't want to make it partisan, but Barack Obama or, or George W. Bush, I'd want to know a lot of secrets and those are people that were informed by intelligence agencies and then i'd want a wild card in there i I, jim carrey i don't know just someone weird to to kind of break the tension of of everything none of those guys are criminals well actually bush definitely is but uh how how would you approach that question what what are your three or four ideal people oh the guys that i would have lunch with even if they're dead, just anybody out of history. Mm-hmm. Wow. I can have anybody. There's no there's no limitation here. I was going with people that were alive, but yeah, whoever you want. All right, well, the first guy I would want to have, sit down and have dinner with would be Rothko, Mark Rothko, the abst- one of the followers of abstract impressionism. I'd want to sit down with him. And this conversation took on for about 10 years because I want to talk to him. I really want to understand his viewpoints, his theories, his theories on color theory. I know that sounds kind of, oh, Bill, here you go with the artist again, but this is who I am. Okay, so definitely Mark Rothko. He'd be the first one. And the second person I'd want to talk to uh, and have a, a, a sit down with him would probably have to be then uh, God, you know, there's so many people that are interesting. So just as a wild card, I, I would throw in there um, Jack the Ripper. I want to know who exactly who he is and talk to the guy. I want to know everything about this guy. He is the beginning almost. I mean, there's, I'm sure there's former serial killer before him, but he really did put everybody and as a curiosity as a profiler as a person who studies serial killers i want to understand him by talking to him so so we have mark rothko jack the ripper and then my third guy would have to then be gavin newsom the governor of california But you were thinking like, oh God, man, what the hell? That's a crazy ass conversation, right? Yeah. Oh, you're saying because of his uh, progressive and 
I don't know how progressive became a bad word, but his his uh, reasonable stances on on the incarceration and the death penalty. I don't know if I'd really want to talk to that guy though. Uh, it just I'm not saying he's a bad guy. It's just anyone with greasy hair. I'm I'm a little bit perturbed. I want to enjoy the conversation. You know. Well, see, this is where I, again, Matt, you're showing your hands again. The last thing I'm thinking about is his hair. I'm thinking more <laughs> about what he's thinking. So. With him, it's, yeah, he's a very he's a progressive, he's a very intelligent guy, a lot of common sense when he talks, and I really really think I would enjoy a conversation with him about anything in general, um, his politics, his mindset, his viewpoints on incarceration, youth offendership, all these things interest me. So Gavin Newsom, um, Mark Rothko, and of course, Jack the Ripper, and if you guys don't know who Mark Rothko is, definitely look him up. He is, I mean, his paintings go for hundreds of millions of dollars. He is the father of abstract impressionism, and he was a visionary. His, his intelligence is something that even today people uh, struggle to grasp where he was going. Yeah, I don't have a grasp on it whatsoever. I, uh, I'm very uninformed <laughs> on it. I'm, I'm looking it up as we're talking, and I'm I know him as the guy that, that paints uh, circles and sort of muddled solid colors. So we'll have to do an episode on that. But what beyond his art, like what um, what is it that you admire about this about the guy, or or even incorporating well, it, his art? It but, really is. Yeah, it's, no, you can't with him. With him specifically, you can't remove him from the art because art was who he was. And to, to completely change the outlook of contemporary arts or modern art, he's like Picasso. Picasso is basically the father of modern art. I Man, I should have said Picasso, but eh, he's so calm. Everybody says Picasso. But Mark Rothko, he he invented. He, he he's, he's one of the founders of the New York School of Abstract Impressionism. He's having Clifford Steele and Robert Motherwell, Jackson Pollock are the the, the, the towering figures. And of course, you can't separate him. Of course, he committed suicide at the end of, towards the end of his life, um, tragically. Uh, but he's such an intelligent individual. Just to sit down and talk to this guy, and if you read some of the things he talked about, it would just blow your mind. It's just really deep stuff. Really things that are beyond the normal scope of human beings. And that's why I'm very interested in all three of these guys. Chuck the Ripper, then, because. He's like the biggest enigma there is in the world. Who truly was he? His face. Who put a put a face to the name? That is big. You know. So then I figured someone's alive today. Someone that's um, um, a thinker today as well. It would have to be Gavin Newsom because he is what looks like the face of the the liberal and the progressive and the Democratic Party. So it interests me. And I, I just, like I said, I, I respect his politics. I respect the way he thinks. And I just wanted to have a conversation with him. If I could, that'd be great. Yeah, I, I just want to have, I, I want to know about, have we seen aliens? Like, did you recover something? Uh, referring to, uh, I'll just say George. Bush. Yeah, Bush. Like, did you guys, did you find anything? Do you know anything about John F. Kennedy? Which, obviously, he does. Like, that. that's what I would get into, but... So I like Salvador I mean, Dali. Case, yeah, no, Salvador Dali, a father of, yeah, uh, he 
the father of uh, impressionism. When I tell people uh, though I'm that sorry. when I tell people that are smart about art like you are that I like Salvador Dali, they look at me like I just said that a Big Mac is the best meal in the in the country or something. They look at me like a Philistine. No, no, no. Salvador Dali is the father of surrealism. I, I said impression. No, he's the father of surrealism. He is a towering figure. He is one of three basically monster uh, Spaniards. Picasso, El Greco, and Salvador Dali. There are, they are the towering figures of Spaniard artists. And he was, in his own right, one of the most famous artists there is. So, yeah. But, I mean, you were talking about finding out information, like, are there aliens and stuff? Well, then ask, I, I would want to know, I'm trying to think of who the mob boss was when Jimmy Hoffa disappeared and asking, where the hell is Jimmy Hoffa at, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, some of those guys are still kicking uh, the five families. Gambino, I think, maybe one of them, but... Uh, yeah, well, all right. How do we button this up? Uh, so you have met people that you, that you like and that you respect and, and that you'd probably be friends with in different circumstances, but it seems like that's only happened really in, in a few rare circumstances. Yeah, very rare. And then remember you said that five years ago, you'd want to meet all the guys from Goodfellas and now you're like, I don't want to meet those guys. I'm, I'm talking from a perspective now because I am in a prison cell. If I were out and I was, you and I were hanging out, we're doing our podcast and we're talking, and you asked me a year from now, who are your friends or who you consider friends, my perspective might be completely different by then. You know, the, the perspective is an evolving, moving element. So my perspective may change by then. Same thing with the, the three people I'd want to have lunch with. A year in time from now, if we're out experiencing a normal life, my perspective may change. Yeah, and that's healthy and normal. And uh, you're a normal guy, and so it's weird that I'm talking to you and you're in a cell. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll leave it at you're that. Not yeah, you're not in a cell, but yet you have a, a, a poster of Christopher Walken in the back of your door of your bedroom, and you have soundproof glass. So, I mean, whoa. <laughs> hey, he's a great dancer. <laughs> yeah, there is serious debate about that, man. And that, if you're referring to his little dance in the King of New York, you need help, man. We appreciate you guys so much. We appreciate all of our Patreon subscribers. I guess you can barely hear the tamale guy, but it's uh, it's much less pronounced with the new windows. Anyway, uh, thank you guys for listening, and we'll have more material for you coming soon, including a, a very big revelation of yours, Bill, which I'm looking forward to, and, and I know our listeners are going to be thrilled with it. So uh, until then... I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagara. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life can depend on it. <laughs>